again, Lord, thank you for just gathering us this morning here to get, uh, together. And, and uh, yeah, Lord, we're grateful for your presence here amongst us. And even though it's, you know, kind of a smaller number, um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. And what matters is that we're here and that we're hungry to hear from you. God, to encourage us through our minds and through our hearts, through our souls, to be with the little kids in the back, to speak to them. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this time to be together. Teach us, guide us, instruct us, bring us wisdom, bring us um, love into our hearts that we may pour that love out into this world. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> we're going to finish the book of Ruth this week. And I know it's been a long, a long journey. <clears throat> Sometimes, in the, I, even this happens to me, I, get, I can't even get like a little bored kind of by the end of a, of a series or by the end of a book. Anybody, does that happen to you? You don't have to. Okay, good. <laughs> One honest person. You get a little bored. You get a little anxious. You're kind of ready to move on to the next series. Here's what's interesting about this book, specifically this book of Ruth, and why I think it's so relevant, and why I think I could teach on it for months, if not years, right? Here, please? Yeah, more. Especially this morning with all the men here. We're, Brian and I were joking that, yeah, we're going to mend the book of Ruth. Men, marry him, you know. Um, <clears throat> here's, here's why I think this book is so relevant to, 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 to today, right? Remember this book of Ruth happens alongside the book of Judges, right? Bible history, real briefly, Exodus, out of Egypt. They wander in the, um, the wilderness. They enter into the promised land. As they're kind of establishing themselves in the promised land, they have all these judges, right? These judges aren't, as, as we've talked about this book of judges before, they're not you know, legal judges like Judge Judy or Judge Wapner or those sorts of judges. They're not bench judges. Morning. One more woman. We're adding one more woman. Isan will be here in a little bit, and that's going to really start balancing. Um, so they're not judges in that sense. They're, they're kind of tribal leaders. They're kind of, you know, they're kind of religious, but they're warriors a little bit. But this book of Judges, as we studied a couple years ago, it's, it's all about this cycle. And this particular graphic that I found calls it the cycle of sin. It could be called the cycle of deliverance. It could be called the cycle of, um, of, of freedom or whatever, but it's this cycle where you have Israel, right? You have Israel as they're kind of fresh moved into this new homeland and they're trying to figure it out. They serve the Lord. They turn away from God and they turn into sin and adultery and idolatry. So they end up being enslaved. There's consequences for them turning away from the Lord. They're enslaved by different tribes, different nations. Um, they cry out to the Lord God raises up this judge, this kind of military leader, this, this tribal ruler, right? This judge would, would lead them to deliverance, to victory. There's peace and prosperity in the land. They serve the Lord faithfully. And when you read the book of Judges, and we, again, we studied this a couple years ago, this just, well, I guess it goes this way. This just happens again and again and again and again and again in the book of Judges, right? So-and-so ruled, Israel falls into, into um, sin and adultery, and this just happens again and again. So remember, the book of Ruth is kind of happening during this time of the judges, right? When the judges are, are in, in, in control. Now, in the midst of this judges cycle, in the midst of this cycle, 
Um, you can think about, it's just chaos, right? It's just chaos of, of, for, for Israel, really is what it is. There's all this internal political conflict and division, right? There's all these different judges vying for power, trying to establish themselves over one another. There's these 12 different tribes trying to, you know, kind of climb, climb the ladder. There's threats from foreign nation. Again, remember, they get enslaved. The, the foreign nations move in and bring power over them. There's moral corruption, there's violence and oppression, there's racial tension, there's immigrant injustice, there's idol worship. It's really just kind of a chaotic time for Israel, right? So this whole chaos, this cycle, all this kind of washing machine is happening, right? And here's what's happening maybe right below it. And this is what I, I th- why I think this book of Ruth is so relevant is because kind of below it, God's telling this love story, right? It's this love story of Ruth and Boaz. It's this love story of Ruth and Naomi. It's this love story of Yahweh towards his people. I maybe did it like this, you know, on our notepads that we have kind of watermarked, you kind of see behind the, the, um, the grids is our logo. Maybe kind of watermarked behind all this chaos is this love story that God's telling in the book of Ruth, right? Now, again, this book of Ruth, why is it so relevant? Because when we think about today, right, internal political conflict and division, check. check. Threats from foreign nation, check, check right? Moral corruption, yeah, check. Uh, violence and oppression, check. racial tension, check. immigrant injustice, check, check. idol worship, check. right? And so we see very similar to today what it was back then all of the sort of chaos that encapsulated the judge's rule and reign and region, all that sort of chaos, all this kind of cycle of sin and idolatry and slavery is all happening. And yet in the middle of this, we're studying this love story. Again, in the middle of this, we have watermarked behind this beautiful love story between Ruth and Naomi, between Ruth and Boaz, Boaz and Ruth, Yahweh and his people. We have this beautiful beautiful love story. And it's almost as if, remember Jesus when he says in John, and Jesus is kind of reminding us and wants to say it again to us, right? Because this is our life sometimes, by the way. There's all this sort of internal conflict with us. There's threats from foreign people or people outside. We have this corruption in our life. We have this, you know, all this sorts of things happening in our life, right? And morning, Isan. And we have all these things happening. And again, there's this love story that happens Jesus says, don't get lost in despair. Believe in God and keep on believing in me. It's so easy when we look at all this chaos and when we look at all this cycle and when we look at all this corruption, it's so easy to get lost in despair. We talked about that on Easter where so often people want to look at the world and say everything's going to hell in a handbasket. And it's easy to just look at that and say everything's getting worse and everything's falling apart and we get lost in despair and again, Jesus' message, message, the resurrection message, the message of love that we encounter in the scripture is that we don't need to get lost in despair. We trust in God and we trust in Jesus, right? That is the message. And that's why this book of Ruth, again, we've done it for a couple of weeks. We could do it for a couple months because in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of all the things that are happening in the world globally, We need this watermark, we need this base note of love to be reminded, this this note of love and redemption 
and, and this word has said that we're going to use loving kindness. We need to be reminded about that. So that's why, again, I think this book of Ruth, and I, I sometimes too, I can get worn out towards the end of a series. I think this book of Ruth is even, even as I was looking, it's like, oh my gosh, this book is even more relevant right now than even when I started it. I'm thinking, how much more important is it for us to be reminded that behind all of the chaos is, is the love of God, the redemption of Christ. So we're going to talk about the last character this morning. We've been going through the book of Ruth all by the characters. There's one last character we need to talk about. And we're going to talk about him or her or it, depends on how you want to say it. But we're going to talk about Yahweh. And then also, because it's just the season that I get to do this, we're also going to talk about the Tour de France. And although I think maybe I need to switch into some tennis metaphors for the future, maybe with the U.S. Open coming up, I'll I'll see if I can work in a couple tennis metaphors. But this is my only time I get to talk about the Tour. And so I know... You have the U.S. Open final on that Sunday morning, too. No, it won't be in the morning, though, will it? Oh, maybe not. Well, East Coast. If it's on in the morning... I'll pray about it. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about Yahweh. I want to talk about the Tour de France. And here, here's what I want to talk about Yahweh. Um, and I want to kind of look at some of the characteristics of Yahweh. I want to talk about kind of the hesed of Yahweh, this, this word, this, this loving kindness that we've been using so much. Um, the providence of, of Yahweh. Uh, we're going to talk about that. And those two really work for the Tour de France metaphor. And then the metaphor just completely falls off the rails. And we're just going to I want to talk about the redemption of Yahweh, the last one. And I was trying to figure out how to force the, the third one in. I was like, yeah, this is just really getting kind of cheesy. So the first two work really well. The, the third one, not so much. So I want to talk about this word said. okay? And this word said, we've used it again and again and again in the series. It's, one of the, this, it's a Hebrew word that means loving kindness, right? Kindness kind of wrapped in action. Right? It's, it's, it's when you see something that needs to be done and you're moved by love to actually do something for a person. Um, a couple years ago, I did a sermon and, and we talked a little bit about this. We talked about the, this role in the Tour de France about someone called a domestique. Um, and a domestique is a French word. I'm teaching you guys all these foreign languages this morning. You should be um, increasing your tithes for like you know the church and then also your foreign language lessons. Domestique is a French word that means servant. Um, and what's interesting about cycling and what most people don't realize in cycling is how much of a team sport it is, right? It's a, it's a massive team sport. So, for example, um, casual observers, you might think of, you, who do you think of when you think about the Tour de France? Greg LeMond. Yeah. Huh? Lance, Greg LeMond. Um, and what do you think about them? One guy riding around France for whatever and just winning a bunch of bicycle races, right? What's fascinating about the Tour de France, what's fascinating about cycling is that in the Tour de France or in any real cycling race, all cycling races, a whole team goes to represent. And you'll have one leader. Here's one of the teams. Um, and you're going to have one leader. This guy's from Colombia. His name's Rigoberto Aran. And you're going to have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys around him. They're called domestiques. They're called servants. And their role is simply to support to support. This, they're like their team captain, right? They're their leader. So you have all these servants that are around. Um, so for example, what would a servant do? Well, say, say this guy, Rigo, say he's riding like up front here, right? 
Let's say that he's, I'm thirsty or I need some, some bars or some, some energy gels or I, I need, you know, a, a new pair of sunglasses or something. Say this team leader up here, this captain, needs something from his team car, which is like back here, right? Well, the amount of energy it would take this guy to, to kind of slow pedal all the way back, get all his stuff, and then ride all the way back forward, you would waste a lot of energy. So the team captain would say to one of his riders, say, hey, I need, I need water. I need a gel. I need a sports drink. Can you go back, and you can actually see a guy right here who's dropped back to this car, and he's probably picking up some stuff, and then his job will be to ride back up to the front and give it to his captain, to his leader, right? A domestique, a servant. Another thing a domestique would do, imagine you're riding in the wind. You guys have all been down by the beach, and you know how hard it is to ride into the wind. This guy here wearing the yellow jersey is riding behind a teammate. You'll save approximately about 33, 30% to 33%, about a third of your energy, just by having someone in front of you riding, right? And you know what that's like, drafting. You know what that's like even down at the beach, even on a beach cruiser, and you ride into a headwind, and you feel that. It's like, oh, man, I'd be, my wife's in front of me now. I get to sit in for a little bit and let her do all the hard work, right? And so you have, again, one, two... You're going to have these guys, and they're going to take turns and go in front of this guy. And that's their job is to go in front and do the win. This is actually from this year's Tour de France. Say you're, this is the best part of it, why you guys like to watch the Tour de France, right? Say there's an accident, right? This is actually the guy who won last year. And this is the moment when you realize that the worst is yet to come. <laughs> so this is actually, I know you can't see it here. He has a little number one right here. This is guy who won last year. Say you have an accident, right? This guy slipped in a corner. This guy crashes, this guy crashes, and say your bike is broken. That's actually the guy's bike, right? So now what do you do? Right? So now one of his servants, one of his teammates is going to say, hey, here's my bike. Take my bike. You can see all these guys off their um, bikes kind of running around. They're going to give him a bike. These guys are going to help ride with him, break the wind, and get him back up. It's, it's an incredible team sport to watch, right? You have one guy. You have seven domestiques around them. And again, the French word there would be domestique. The Hebrew word that, if, 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 you know, if cycling was a Hebrew sport, um, it would be hesed. It would be loving kindness. And the book of Ruth, to think about this, it's all about, think about Ruth's hesed towards Naomi. Again, remember, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be where you are. Your God is going to become my God. She goes into the field and she gleans and she brings back to Ruth. She gets that sack of grain from Boaz. She brings it back to Ruth. She literally is a servant towards Naomi. Boaz shows this loving kindness, this goodness to Ruth, right? He says, hey, you can glean in my field. He makes her a dinner. He, um, he, he redeems her at the gate. He takes care of all her needs. And then underneath it all, right? Underneath it all, again, this character of Yahweh is you read of the goodness of the hesed, of the kindness to Yahweh, there's this interesting spot in 2.20 that the commentators point out, right? Where Ruth has just come home from gleaning, right? And she says, look at what I've gleaned. Look at all the grain that I've been given by Boaz. And the NIV says it like this. It says, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not sh stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. Now you read that and it makes it seem like we're talking about the Lord bless Boaz, right? Thank the Lord for Boaz. But the way that the original language leaves it, it leaves it very ambiguous whether they're talking about blessing Boaz or kind of bless Yahweh. Because look at how the NRSV says, the Lord said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he by the Lord 
whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And it kind of puts a little bit more emphasis on Yahweh. Bless, blessed Yahweh. Blessed be Yahweh, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And the, and the Bible, again, the, the original language right there, it leaves it kind of open to either interpretation. Now, again, this word has said, this loving kindness, this goodness, this tangibleness, right? This word loving kindness, again, has said in, in, in the Old Testament, it's used about 250 times, and two-thirds of those times, two-thirds out of the 250, so say about 160 or 166 or whatever that would be, two-thirds of those references in the Old Testament are about Yahweh towards humanity, right? In, in Ruth, the book of Ruth, we see some of that has said between, you know, Ruth and Naomi, Ruth and Boaz, Boaz and Ruth, right? In the Old Testament, this word again, the, the dominant message here, right? As Younger Junior, one of our last quotes from Younger Junior, it's the basis on which the divine human relationship is established and the means and the enablement for its continuance. It's the watermark, right? It's what's behind this has said. A lot of people think that the basis on our relationship on which things are established is God's generally frustrated with us. That we were talking to a friend yesterday that he's kind of crabby, right? And that he's just irritated. But lucky for you, right? Jesus came and died and you're, everything's all good now, right? The, the, the base note, the watermark is this has said, is that he's, he's, um, he's here and he loves you and he's for you. And that's the watermark that we, we kind of build everything off of, right? So it's the basis on which the divine human relationship is established. It's the means and enablement for um, its, its continuance. Again, it's the watermark. It's the character of Yahweh. It's the bedrock. It's the crux, right, of God's love for humanity. Really, it's the seven guys that are all supporting their one team captain. It's that kind of love. It's that kind of domestique that we encounter in the book of Ruth, right? There's a lot of mixed messages about God. There's always been the dominant message is one of his said. That, I like how Younger Jr. says, that is the watermark. That is the basis. The second, uh, the second kind of characteristic or attribute of Yahweh that comes up again and again in this book is, is this, I'm going to use two words here, and we're going to start with this word luck, okay? Luck. I had this professor when I went to college. He was a, a really brilliant theologian, and he actually has a podcast that I, I love to listen to, and it's called The Uncensored Unprofessor. And he was this brilliant theologian, and he would tell me, he'd say, I'm a rare theologian that believes in luck. And again, when you think about that, because you think about God has everything exact, and I was like, well, how does, how does luck kind of fit into it? And I still need to, I still need to press him and, and kind of find out about this, his explanation. But we could all agree this, life is funny sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> right? Life is funny sometimes. Um, and I want to I tell two stories this morning, but... I'm going to give you, this is the choose your own adventure part. I got a wedding story and I got another bicycle story, another Tour de France story. So where are we going to go first this time? I don't have a tennis story. You, maybe you will at the end of this. If you can somehow figure out a tennis story into this. Um, the wedding. Did a wedding for Matt Kinney a couple years ago. We all know Matt Kinney. Um, and there's Stacy and my wife took this picture. I don't know if she was taking a picture of me doing the wedding 
or this guy's, and it's hard to see, this guy has a really, it's like a mullet ponytail. Huh? Do you remember how nice that was? Did you? Yeah, that's you. Huh? Man, he kind of, I mean, he was, I don't want to. Yeah, it was it was a warm day, um, and this thing I don't know, it, it was it was powerful. It was powerful and word indeed. So I did this wedding for Matt and Stacy, and and you know when you do weddings and and you find out how people meet one another, right? And you kind of find the story, and there there usually is some sort of commonality, like kind of a strong commonality. Do you know what I mean? You guys went to high school together. Um, we met. We were going to the same church together. Um, you know, you, you meet people, you kind of have that bond, that work or, or family or friends or college or whatever it is. Most of the weddings, I would say almost all the weddings that I did were like that. What was so interesting about Matt and Stacy's story was how random and lucky it was that they actually met. They, were, they met at a, a pub down on 2nd Street in Belmont. And I guess the best way to describe it I'll just do it real quick. So here's Matt. And Matt has a friend. Right? So this is Matt. Matt has a friend. And then this guy kind of has a group of friends. Right? And then here's Stacy. And here's Stacy's friend. And Stacy kind of has a group of friends. Right? So they're all kind of at this pub together. And because Matt kind of felt like an outsider to this group, Matt was, said he was like, he was like, yeah, I was kind of like over it. He was like, I, I was ready to, to hit the exit and get out of there, right? And it just, it just kind of just so happened, or luckily, right, luckily that Stacy showed up before he made this exit. Um, and because she happened to show up, they, they somehow ended up talking together, right, and stayed together. And it was, again, if this kind of matchup of people doesn't happen, if her friend doesn't invite her, if Matt's friend doesn't invite him, this, this whole kind of group is, is, was, was Long Beach, Cal State Long Beach folks. And if this doesn't happen, like, there was a real chance. And we, I remember sitting there thinking, like, there's a real chance you guys might not have never met. Like, two asteroids flying through space that it might not have ever happened. And it was interesting because, again, when I do weddings and, and I hear people's stories, it's always like, oh, yeah, so-and-so introduced us. And we had this common friend, and we knew each other, and we went to college, or we were in high school, or, you know. There was always something, like a strong bond. This, was, this honestly was like, man, if this doesn't happen in this moment at this pub in Second Street, this is it. They just fly right by each other, right? It's just this, this moment of luck. The tour story goes a little bit like this. Two years ago, there was this stage, and, and I'm going to show you a quick video. Um, and by quick, I mean it's like 10 seconds. I think I'm going to show you a quick video. This is, uh, they were racing up a mountain, and they're, now they're coming down the mountain. So speeds are really high. And um, you can see on the left-hand side, one guy misjudges the turn and goes flying up and over the road. And he knocks out the guy in the blue and the guy in the green. And then the guy in the white right there barely make it past right? Luck. Honestly, if again, if you want to watch it again, because it's kind of like NASCAR where you get to watch crashes. Uh, I might need to do this. 
this guy in the red, or the guy that crashes, he ends up, he's done, he, he crashes out, he's done out of the tour. The guy in the blue somehow is able to continue on. Um, He's also very lucky he didn't fall into that cliff. There's a lot of luck that's happening right here, right? You're kind of right on the edge. Now, it's interesting because the guy in the blue gets taken out, and he, he pretty much limps the rest of the way. He, he had like a couple cracked vertebrae and was able to somehow continue. It's just a tough Irish guy. Um, and then the guy in the green and the guy in the white end up on the podium at the end. It's just luck, right? Like, seriously, a second before or a second after or the guy's body twists in a different way, and maybe those guys are the ones taking out and sliding down the mountain, right? It was just luck. It was just kind of a, an unlucky circumstance. Now, I talk about luck. <clears throat> I talk about luck because in the book of Ruth, there's all this, there's all just this luckiness, right? Just this luckiness. <clears throat> we, religious folks like to call it, maybe the word is providence. Ruth happens to return during harvest season. It just so happens she, it was harvest season when she came back. Naomi happens to have a relative on her husband's side that can redeem her, right? Uh, verse 2, 3, as it turned out, again, the Hebrew here stresses the luck, the chance, the unbelievable nature. Boaz, as Ruth was getting ready to leave the field, remember that she was getting ready to leave, Boaz happens to show up. It's such a beautiful story. And when you read this, again, we use the word luck, right? We don't ever use the words like, oh, that, such great providence of you that you were able to stand on the podium or such great providence that you meant to go. We use this word luck. The theologians use this word providence. Um, and we think about in our lives, I want you to think specifically about in your lives, about how God has always been at work in your life, right? Especially in the dark moments, especially in the dire moments, God is always at work. One of the commentaries I was reading says, providence is a word best read backwards because you have to look backwards over your life and you begin to see the providence and the hand of God, right? Paul, um, <clears throat> another great quote by this guy, um, David Strain, he says, listen to this, he says, the truth is there are no insignificant actions, no throwaway moments, and that is a great adventure of the Christian life. We know that even seemingly random things may prove to have a significance for the glory of God and for the good of his people that we could never have imagined. It has been the Lord who has worked all along to woo and win the hearts of both Naomi and Ruth and to weave them into the fabric of the grand tapestry of redemptive history. Paul Young, another author, says it like this. He says, all the threads are being transformed, headed to the altar, where the to the loom, where God in Jesus is making a beautiful tapestry. The world will bow down and marvel, see the greatness and glory of our God, experience his majesty, and praise him forever. And I love these quotes, and I love this kind of idea of all the threads, all, everything's being woven into this grand tapestry of history, right? There is, <clears throat> there is this humbleness as we look back on our lives, right? Luckily, Robin and I happened to sit down to a card game at the beach one day, right? <clears throat> Luckily, God happened to bring you guys to this church. It just so happened, you, you know, it just so happened who was, I, um, I was thinking about someone this, this week, 
Uh, I lost that one. But we just think about the providence of God, this humbleness, that God's taking all the threads of our life, right? There's no insignificant actions, no throwaway moments. They're all being woven together for the glory of God and the good of his people. And just as we see this in Ruth, right? You just read the book of Ruth and you're like, wow, that was lucky that it happened to be harvest season. Wow, it was lucky that she was able to glean. And it was lucky that Naomi has this relative. And it was lucky that Boaz happens to show up. And all these sorts of things, right? You just see this kind of providence, this goodness of God underneath. It's important to be reminded of that because we just sometimes get focused on the future. We sometimes dismay about the past. We get upset about the past. But it's important to say that God has been working all along. He's deep. It's the watermark of our lives that God is there and he's working. Um, And you might be flying down a mountain right now, feeling like you're flying down a mountain and bodies are flying left and right. And God's like, yeah, but in a couple couple weeks, you're going to, again, sorry for the cheesy cycling analogy. This is it for the rest of the year. So I got to really milk it for all I got. It's like you'll stand on the podium. And we need to remember that because... Because we get discouraged in life. We get upset and we get frustrated and things don't go our way. And God says, I'm working it together. Will you trust me? Everything's headed to the altar. We will see the greatness and the glory of our God. We will experience his majesty and praise him forever. All right, so no more tour analogies. It's going to be over next Sunday anyway. I mean, maybe if something really special happens, I'll work it in. But I think that's, that's it. I want to talk lastly about redemption. Um, it's going on right now. Yeah, this is it. So it started It started last Sunday or kind of last weekend. It's, you know, three weeks. So it's kind of, this is the middle, more or less a little bit over the middle point, And then it's going to finish next Sunday. So if you want to tune in, there's great scenery. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For example, me and Dietrich, she was yep. in a relationship. I had ended a relationship. We both teaching. You know, that opportunity came. We were both prepared. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so. Yeah, the, the book of Ruth doesn't work if Ruth just decides to sit at home and, and whine and complain, right? She goes out into the fields, right? The book of Ruth doesn't work. There, There is like... There is, underneath all of it, is, is the providence of God. It's kind of that lucky piece. You know, and then there's the specific actions that the characters take that bring it all together. It is, it is the preparation, and it's the opportunity and, and the kind of meeting of that, too. So, yeah. Is it God's will or is it luck? Because I heard, I just like playing cards and stuff, gamble. Yep. And there's no such thing as luck. It's God's will. You know? Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, I'm going to say this. I, don't, I always refrain my verbiage that mm-hmm. I don't believe in luck, I believe in God's will. Yep, and I'm going to say this. It's both. And it's, it, our brains can't comprehend that. It, like we, Our brains get to a point. So there's the, the great debate. Um, has God planned everything out? Is everything planned out? Or do humans have free will? Do. What is it? Free will. But has God planned everything out? We don't know. Wait, do, I don't say I have luck anymore. I say it's God's will. I don't believe in luck. And so 
I'm using the word luck as, as a placeholder here for the providence of God. Providence of God makes sense. And it's just an expansion of maybe that God is, is doing everything and there's an expansion. Not like a puppet master. <laughs> what was the word you're using again? Providence. Providence of God. So it's in his will, if you're open that, that direction, that things may come if you're open. Like the guy in the boat that says saw the plane and saw the train mm-hmm. didn't reach out. Mm-hmm. Well, God sent a plane and sent a plane. Mm-hmm. Brian, you were going to say something, though? Uh, I was going to say, like, when you, like, when I think about the will of God sometimes, I used to think about it in terms of more, like, you know, kind of, yeah. Cut and dry. After kind of thing. But then, like, think about it this way. Like, what is your will for your children? You know what I mean? For them to know God, know God's love. And be sure, like, you want good things for them. Yeah. But, like, you're not going to force the hand. You know what I mean? Try. Yeah, I know, but you it's like, it you're going to do, you're gonna do <laughs> everything, you're going to do everything, like, And sometimes underneath there with your kids, there's there's there is a little bit of the providence of God. There's just a little bit of providence, a little bit of luck, right? I was this is a silly story, but we had a cousin who was in the back of a pickup truck, being silly, sitting in a wheelchair, and his friends were driving around. This is like out in Arizona land. He gets ejected out of the truck, and he's two broken hands, laceration, serious concussion. I mean, literally, really lucky that he. And I remember at one point as I was a kid. I was in the back of a pickup truck, and we were being chased by someone, and we're just laying down and doing like 80, 90 miles an hour in the back of a pickup truck just laying there as my friend was trying to. And again, I could have been ejected out of that truck and either died or whatever. There is a little bit of that kind of luck that happens, right, that providence of God, that all the threads of God are, are being together. Um, so, yeah, I want to balance a little bit because, again, sometimes we think that God's up there just puppet mastering away, Right, and he's just everything's, but there is there is that, but there's also the providence of God that, again, the Hebrew is okay with this. the The, the Hebrew mind was okay to say. There's just there's just like this humbleness to it, just so I just so happens. I don't know. I don't know why I showed up that day. I don't know why we were both just getting out of a relationship at the same time. I don't know why we happened to look at each other across the room in that moment. I don't know why I was walking by the park and I saw this, this, this church. Um, it, I don't know why I met you, Isan, walking that day. You know what I mean? It just, it just so happened. But again, here we are, right? So, um, all right, last one. Redemption. The whole book, again, has said the, 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 the loving kindness of God, again, kind of the providence of God. The last one, redemption. Um, the whole book, again, speaks about this, this move, this narrative from despair, I came up with a lot of D words, I don't know where, from emptiness, destitution, desperation, darkness, and it moves to delight, to fullness, to security, prosperity, blessing. Naomi, Ruth, they, they have nothing when they come back to Bethlehem. And they end up with everything. I'm going to tell you one quick story. This happened to me just a couple weeks ago. I had made a hotel reservation and I had forgot about it. And um, I just, I don't know, it just, I didn't even remember I made it. I made it back in September. And so the hotel emailed me and they said, hey, you know, here's the concierge and here's some things to do while you're on your vacation. 
Um, and I was like, that's kind of strange. And it was with some, some other family. And I was like, I wonder if he like added me on. And then I got another hotel email and said, hey, you can check in. And I'm like, well, this is really strange because I don't even think I have a reservation. So I called them and they said, yeah, you have your reservation. I said, oh, I did make that reservation. And our cancellation policy is that if you don't cancel within, I don't know, 72 hours or whatever it is, you know, you have to pay for the whole reservation, which was $1,500. <laughs> it was a week-long reservation. And I said, oh, I'm really sorry. You know, I, I didn't mean to make this reservation. I'd forgotten about it. Can you help me cancel it? Can you help? And they're like, no, sorry, sir. That's our policy. There's nothing we can do. Like, this is just charged to your account. And so anybody kind of run up to those policy people, you know, against those policy people, you know, and they're just like, no, this is our policy. And, you know, you're kind of screwed. And again, I felt, I felt desperate, right? I felt like this kind of moment of despair. You start kind of, you start kind of um, really obsessing about it and you're thinking through all the situations and you feel this whole thing is out of your control. Now, it just so happens, luckily, I have a brother-in-law who works for this hotel company and this brother-in-law was able to help, you know, push the right buttons to get my money refunded. You know, that's $1,500 is, is, is a lot of money. Now, in the moment, this is how I felt. Right? And again, it's kind of a silly analogy, but you know what it's like to be in that situation where you're like, I'm up against it, and I don't have any control in this situation. I have all the policy people saying, sorry, sir, sorry, sir, manager, nope, sorry, sir, next manager, no, you know what I mean? And you know what it's, it feels like to just be like, I just got nothing. Imagine walking back into Jerusalem, being an outsider, being a foreigner, having no standing, having no security, and you have no one to look out for you, right? All the policies, all the laws are against you except for one little thing. It just so happens. It goes from deficit, from, de- uh, from despair, from emptiness to res- restoration, to revitalization. This is what redemption is in the whole book of Ruth. You read this book of Ruth. Women who go from nothing to everything, right? Now, um, <clears throat> maybe... You're, um, maybe you're anxious about your life. Maybe tomorrow or there's an upcoming season or there's changes in the future. Things that kind of might be out of your control. And you feel this about, you feel desperate, you feel empty. There's a darkness. There's a sense of despair about the future. Like, I don't know what the future is going to look like. And you kind of feel stuck. You feel indebted, right? Maybe you're hanging on to the past, there's mental agony in the past. There's torturous experiences. There's regrets. And again, you feel this about the past. You feel the despair. You feel the emptiness, the desperation. Am I ever going to have this weight lifted off my shoulder? Right? And Strange says it like this. There's no promise that hardship or sorrow or loss or pain will never again intrude your life. Here's such a wonderful line. There's a promise that emptiness need never again characterize your heart. There's, a pro- there's no promise in the book of Ruth. There's all sorts of hardship, sorrow, loss, pain, and that intrudes all into the life. What there is the promise of the book of Ruth in the Bible is that emptiness, despair, discouragement, right? This kind of destitution that, man, I'm just stuck. All the policy people are against me, right? That emptiness, again, 
just a silly financial example, but that emptiness that somehow sits into our heart doesn't need to characterize your heart. What we have in Ruth, again, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the darkness and the desperation, is you have this God who is at work. Yahweh's at work. And his chosen tool, right? He uses his chosen tool. You know what his chosen tool is? It's hesed. It's loving kindness to redeem his children. And again, this is the story that we're invited into. I don't know where you're at in life with situations and relationships and whether things are good. Sometimes we're up here and everything's all good and we're like, oh yeah, Lord, you've been so loving and so kind to me and so you know, all that, I feel all that has said. And sometimes you feel um, in this spot where you just feel the despair, you feel the darkness, you feel desperate, right? Sometimes I don't know where that is for people. But again, as Strange says, the promise is that that emptiness doesn't need to characterize your heart, who you are, right? There is a promise that despair, emptiness, destitution, desperation, darkness, it doesn't need to say who your heart is. Um, Yahweh, the story of Yahweh is about, um, it's about Hesed. It's about providence. We, we call it, would call it luck. It's about providence, about God's hand at work in all things. And it's about redemption. And this is a story we need to hear now. So <clears throat> let me pray and then we're going to do a couple questions. Oh Lord, thank you for this time to be together again. Um, I pray that there is a word for folks out there this morning that they heard your voice speaking to them, encouraging them um, in, in different areas of their life. That it would guide them this week and this month. That it would show them God it would literally be like a light to their path. Thank you, Lord, for this time to be together. My brothers and sisters, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. A couple questions. Uh, was there a character or teaching, I'm kind of thinking of the whole book of Ruth, that resonated with you and why? Who is one person in your life that you can practice this has said towards? Uh, and maybe what do you intend to do, too? Maybe there's a little bit of a further step. Uh, where have you been, again, just using that phrase, lucky? Where have you experienced that providence of God? Uh, share of a time when you were desperate, empty, lost, and God turned your situation around. He redeemed that situation. Um, and then I think that was a, one from last week. So that last one, you can skip. I think I, I don't didn't intend to put that one. But if you want to talk about that one, that was for two weeks ago, um, the story of Boaz. So uh, those four questions. And what I want to do is, because we got to get some blood flowing, um, I think the ladies just need to, to team up this morning and go do a little study together. And then I think the men right here, and then I'll come join the men over here, and we'll do three little groups this morning, and we'll call it a, we'll, we'll do a little discussion. Sound good?